Hey, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the podcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about popular topics related to psychology. If you're watching this from YouTube, this is a podcast, so you can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Learn My Test. The best way to study is to take practice tests. And if you can't find a good one, you can build your own and learn while you're doing it. So check out the Learn My Test study tool. It is free at learnmytest.com. Uh, so the host of this podcast is Dr. Brian Collin, and I am Lowell Berlanti. This episode is about how to successfully debate with someone. So let's start with cognitive dissonance. What is cognitive dissonance and how does it lead us to change our opinions or attitudes? So cognitive dissonance is essentially when you get information that conflicts with your beliefs. And so, of course, when you believe something and then you get this, you get some information that basically says what you are believing is, you know, not true. That makes us uncomfortable. Right. And so, yeah, so there's there's basically two things you can do when you get this information is number one, you can ignore it or you can try to some way justify it and rationalize it. So you still believe what you believed before or you can just change your belief. Um, but changing your belief is tends to be a lot harder than just, you know, trying to find some way to fit it into your current belief. Yeah, I don't know if I've sense. ever had a debate with someone where they changed their belief right then and there, maybe like down the road and they never told me about it. But I feel yeah. like I've changed my belief on certain subjects after debating with people, but never right then, usually over time, I think. Yeah. And, and that that makes sense. You know, I would say that that it's probably because, you know, if if we give in and change our belief in the debate, then it makes us look bad. It makes us look like, man, like we had this wrong viewpoint beforehand and we're admitting that. So I think I that's feel like one it makes of the you reasons. look better. You know, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, man, this person is smart. They're able to change their mind. Exactly. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> that's the, that's in my opinion, that's the truth. But I think because of emotions, because our of our emotions mm -hmm. and feelings of embarrassment and that type of thing, we don't want to admit that our viewpoints are are wrong. Yeah, some people I feel like if, the, if that happened, they would just break their whole brain. Yeah, you know? it would yeah. like destroy their <laughs> whole like mental construct of how the world works. Yeah, and <laughs> that's funny. I mean, yeah, I think I think. You know, we, we just don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to be wrong. And mm -hmm. so I think, and we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it takes some people a while to change their viewpoints and beliefs. Yeah. And some people, you know, never do. Because but the, I guess that. the best way to do it is maybe possibly over time, you plant the seed. And I think we're being like really respectful. I think that that helps a lot because people just seemingly, if you get offensive, they're just going to get more defensive. So if you're calm and polite about it you probably have a better chance of convincing them but uh i yeah. was gonna ask you is there any like examples or studies of like cognitive dissonance absolutely so i want to talk about uh the the study that founded cognitive dissonance and it was done by leon festinger and he conducted a study where he had college students do a boring task and he paid half of them one dollar and then another half, $20 to lie and tell a group of people that the experiment was fun. And after the study, he told, he asked the people how enjoyable the activity was. And actually what he found was that the group that only got paid $1 rated the activity as more enjoyable than the group that got paid $20. So why might this be? Well, um, 
when every everyone in the study lied, of course, so they had to justify a reason for doing something immoral like lying. And so when you got paid $20, you can easily justify, well, I'm a good person and, you know, I lied for, you know, to get the $20. But when you only got paid $1, there's not as much justification for lying. So what they did instead is they changed their opinion about the activity and rated it as more enjoyable. So there was a discomfort about, you know, oh, I only lied for a dollar. So instead of lying, they changed the the their attitude. So oh, wow. um, after Festinger recognized this in his study, he coined the term cognitive dissonance as that uncomfortable feeling when you get information that conflicts with your belief systems. Okay, so that group was both groups were paid to lie to a group of actors, and then yeah. the ones that got paid twenty dollars, they were just like. Oh, I got paid 20 bucks, so it's not a big deal that I lied. And they were honest about how enjoyable it was in like a post survey. But then the group that got paid $1 had to change their minds, like their opinions of it in order to fit in because they only got paid a dollar. So they were like, I exactly. lied for a dollar. Okay, got it. So they were, they, they were like, you know, they lied for a dollar. So they were just like, you know, why would I compromise my, you know, being honest and lying for a dollar? And they were like, well... No, I didn't compromise because the act, the activity was actually not boring. It was actually a little bit fun. So they changed their oh, okay. attitude towards the activity because of that dissonance of saying, well, I'm an honest person, but I lied for a dollar. I have you a know? question. So Does that make cognitive sense? dissonance, is it just a primarily a defense thing or can you use it like to con as a, in a way to convince someone of something? Hmm. What can you give me an example of that? Well, let's say, I mean, most of my examples come back to political ones, but, or let's I mean, say, that, oh, it's a hot topic. I don't know. Let's just say I'm trying to convince someone that their opinion on gun control is wrong. What, would yeah. I just present them with statistics and then try and get that information to change their mind? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think if you, the thing to know of this is that dissonance makes us uncomfortable. So if you present them with information that conflicts with their beliefs, they're going to get uncomfortable. So if aren't they just going to try and then yeah. convince me that I'm wrong about it? <laughs> they might. They could do a number of different things. Right, but okay. if, if you can tell that what you're saying is making that person angry or uncomfortable, it means that you've you know, that you, that they're having dissonance. Okay. So, so okay. I think, so I think in other... that space, you want to, you want to let them kind of work out the dissonance okay. and it could be, you know, they could end up thinking more strongly about their own belief or they could change their attitude. It just, I think it just depends. But I think when it's like self, when it's ourselves and like ourselves being honest and good people, like in this study, most of the time we'll change our attitudes to support ourselves being like honest and caring and good people over, over like other stuff. And so, so that's kind I of what this, what this study like, shows. I try and like take their strong or weak arguments and try and poke holes in them? Or should I just present what i believe in order to like mm -hmm. keep things civil maybe like well here's what i believe mm -hmm. or i think i think what you should do is try to keep the focus on on them like keep the focus on their arguments and pointing out the the information to conflict with their arguments that's okay. gonna what's gonna create dissonance for them okay and like i said your goal is to create dissonance so it's gonna 
it may not be a pleasant conversation, you know, if you're arguing with someone, like I said, because they're going to feel some inner tension and maybe they'll make good points too. And they'll give you dissonance and you'll feel uncomfortable about it. It sounds like dissonance is a good thing for change, right? It is. Yeah, Yeah. it it is. But it's, it makes us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing about dissonance. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're focused on their but to answer your question, if you're focused on their beliefs and kind of pointing information that conflicts with that, that may be the best way to change their attitude. At least that's what this this study suggests. Was there any other examples of or studies of this? So um, thus Gibbons and colleagues, they did a study and asked people how how dangerous smoking was before they uh, attended a smokes smoking cessation clinic. And so they after this, this was before and after. So they surveyed them before they did it and after they did it. And then they followed them um, throughout the entire treatment. And eventually these the subjects in the study quit. They quit smoking for a period of time and then they relapsed and were smokers by the end of the study. And so at the end of the study, what happened? Well, they rated smoking as less dangerous than they did before the study. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, what the researchers concluded was that they, if they kept their attitude that smoking was very dangerous, they, they would have to admit that they didn't have enough self-control to quit smoking. So instead of admitting that they didn't have the self-control to quit, they changed their attitude towards smoking and made it less dangerous. You think they'd be like, well, their attitude would become, well, quitting smoking is really hard. Not like I'm a weak person, but you know. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the criticisms of like cognitive dissonance is that, you know, of these, of these analogies that they use because they they do put words in people's mouths, you know. Yeah. I, I think, but I think here's the thing though: if they did think, oh, smoking's really hard, or quitting smoking's really hard, then maybe they would still have described it as dangerous or as dangerous as they did when they started, right? Sure. Because it is. I mean, I agree with you. It's it's extremely hard to quit smoking for sure. Um, you know. Yeah. So do you have a yeah. um you know example of uh, like your own cognitive dissonance or what some other ones people experience? Well, I think you know. One of the things I've experienced is recently is is with Thomas Jefferson. So I know like with the uh, the protests and everything that's going on and the statues, people are taking down the statues. And, you know, I was I saw a comment on Facebook about Thomas Jefferson and people were arguing about that. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson did all these great things like he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He said all men were created equal. He wrote that in the Constitution. and uh, and so, but he also owned slaves. He was also a slave owner and supported slavery. So he's a founding father, third president of the United States, but he supported and condoned slavery. So there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. We grew up to think Thomas Jefferson's this great guy. And in reality, he had a very dark side. Sounds so like he I, had some cognitive dissonance if he said all men are created equal and then he was going to own some of them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it's funny because, you know, I saw a comment from somebody who said Thomas Jefferson was a nice slave owner. Like that was oh, justification. To, right. Yeah. Yeah. To cope with the dissonance, to cope with the dissonance of, you know, man, I, Thomas Jefferson's this great guy. We want to keep his perspective. Uh, we want to keep our attitude of him being positive. So we're going to say he's a nice slave owner instead of admitting the reality that 
yes, he did some good things for our country, but he also was a, you know, supported slavery, which is terrible. So I feel like when I'm debating somebody usually related to politics or like important issues like birth control or gun control, um, no matter what I say, you know, like the person's not going to change their mind, you know, like they don't hear me. I mean, does that have anything to do with the cognitive dissonance? Yeah, so I think that what what you're talking about, at least in research perspective, is called the congeniality effect. And it's the idea that um, we're more likely to remember arguments in the support of our own beliefs and opinions. And we're more likely to remember the weak arguments towards the opposing uh, opinions or opposing beliefs. And so I'll talk briefly about a study by Jones and Kohler it was a long time ago and it was related to segregation and they had people that supported and were against segregation and they they wrote arguments down and basically made up some arguments that were irrational that supported segregation and were against it and then they made they made irrational arguments and they wrote those down and so they had the people remember the different arguments and what they found was that uh in a rational person a person that, you know, was actually remembering the arguments, if they saw, you know, the good arguments, they would write down the rational arguments for both sides, for segregation and non-segregation. But what actually happened was that they they remembered the rational arguments for what they for their belief that supported their view and the irrational arguments for uh for the other for the other view. So they had this selective memory for arguments that they believed in. And so this same study was done by Lord Ross and Leper with college students and gun control, and they found the exact same thing. So they found that reading an article, a, a, re, a peer review research article on the opposing view should make you, you know, kind of have a difference in opinion and move closer toward your toward the other side. But in reality, it made them feel even stronger about their belief. So uh, so that's just another example of where our memory may be selective in terms of of our beliefs. We may we remember things that support our beliefs and maybe and, and maybe kind of ignore or disregard things that don't confirm our beliefs. Okay, yeah. So that seems like a big bias. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Def definitely. Stuff that is a bad argument for your belief. Remember the stuff that's a good argument, and then just think of all the bad arguments for the opposing belief. And that's and that to reduce why... cognitive dissonance, right? You know, to make things like more comfortable, make more sense instead of changing your mind. <laughs> exactly. And that may be why you're, you have trouble with, you know, like you were talking about that you feel like you're talking to a brick wall because maybe they're, you know, they're not remembering or they're not hearing your sure. arguments. And, and I probably do the same thing, but it's good to yeah. recognize that I feel like you can get closer to, uh, you know, a good answer. So people who do get presented with opposing arguments, like what, what are the different things that they can do? Mm-hmm. So I think when, so one of the things that um, Eagley, Kalisa, Chen, and Chaikin, uh, they did a study, and they did a couple studies actually, and what they did was they they kind of looked at this congeniality effect, and they were like, wait a minute, what if we present someone with a message that conflicts their belief, and we and we asked them to give some opinions about it because the, the earlier studies, what they did was they wrote down different, you know, arguments, but this time they let the people come up with their own arguments and they presented them with a message 
that is an opposing argument. So what happened is, and they, they presented them with a message that was also an argument that supports their opinion. So what do you think they spent the most time on um, talking about? <laughs> the one that supported their opinion? <laughs> so actually what happened was they they uh they spent more time focusing on the one that opposed their opinion. So they were they spent more time scrutinizing the opposing argument and they actually found that there were people that there were two types of people. So there were people that that when they get ex- exposed to an opposing argument they just dismiss it and they're just like, oh, I don't want to hear it. This makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't want to talk about it. And so that was one strategy. The other strategy is they scrutinized it. They were like, this argument's wrong because of this, this, and this, and I get this opinion. And so they found that people that actually do that, that scrutinize the other argument, they actually do remember the opposing arguments just as well as the people who, uh, as they do the, the arguments they support. So in oh, the earlier studies, do. they may, I'm, I'm they, an attacker of somebody else's. <laughs> no, 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 I don't yeah, want to say attack, yeah. but I like to break down like each individual point and be like, yeah, why do you believe this? Just go and go through it to like find if there's any like logical flaws in it. Exactly. And if you do that, that's helping you remember, you know, the good arguments that support that opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's that's a you're you're thinking you're using higher level thinking to go through the argument. And so that's going to result in better memory for the other arguments. Right. So don't just dismiss yeah. what a person's arguing, like seriously try to exactly. understand it then. Exactly. And figure out where so it comes like, from and what, like what, what it's about. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And so like, yeah, I mean, I had a, a friend who, you know, he's, he's a Republican and like he's against Medicare for all. And so I began asking him some questions about it. And then I, I sent it, you know, I gave him a research article and he just said, you know, I don't want to get this. I don't want to read this. My art, you know, this is not enjoyable conversation. And so he kind of took the opinion of, Hey, I'm going to avoid the argument. I, I don't, or I'm going to avoid the debate. This is make this dissonance is making me feel uncomfortable and I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this dissonance. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to scrutinize the article, he just kind of said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to go away." And those people have trouble remembering the opposing arguments because they're not scrutinizing them. Oh, that makes sense. So did you yeah. have like a different experience with somebody else? Yeah, so um so I did have another person who does care and and you know, who, who is strongly against a single payer system. And so he may say like, you know, how do you pay? Are you going to pay for this? Um, you know, what's going to happen to the wait times if, you know, everyone needs healthcare, you know, is, how's the, how's that going to affect the quality of healthcare in the United States when, you know, the government's paying for it? Is it going to be this huge bureaucracy? Yeah, so I so think there's a lot of the other person's argument. You can ask way, way better questions, right? Exactly. And that's, that's, that's another good point. You know, you're going to ask better questions. You're going to make better arguments that they have to think about, you know, and that's going to create dissonance in that other person and make them think, man. And if you fully understand theirs, but they don't fully understand yours, that's a huge advantage, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So yeah. How do we like scrutinize what information they're giving us? Because, you know, you have an argument with somebody, you send them an article, they send one back that says the opposite thing. Like, how are you supposed to differentiate? 
So I think one of the things that, you know, to think about is, uh, you know, so there's this thing called confirmation bias. And it's the idea that we actually look for information that confirms our beliefs and we tend to ignore information that goes against it. So think about like you're having an argument with someone and you're like, OK, I'm going to go on Google and prove that I'm right. And you probably type something into the Google engine that, you know, tries to prove that you're right, you know, instead of maybe you know, trying to find good information that's, you know, that's unbiased and, yeah, so you, you know, can look up the the strongest arguments that oppose your belief and then trying to break those down. Exactly. And I think that that may be a good way or, or looking for peer reviewed research. So you can go to scholar.google.com and usually there's, you know, they have, you know, a lot of the peer review research there. So you can read that. Um, you know, one thing I want to say is, is, our media today is extremely biased, you know? So like with the coronavirus, like COVID-19, we have, you know, on Fox News, which is, you know, the Republican outlet, uh, for those of you that uh, are watching from a different country, uh, they are the Republicans. And what they do is they will, uh, they're saying, these are the amount of deaths. And so, of course, like with coronavirus, there's a lot less deaths. So it doesn't look as bad, you know, because there's a lot less deaths. Whereas if you turn on CNN, which is our liberal outlet, it's saying, well, these are the amount of cases and the amount of cases are skyrocketing. So you're getting two different sides of the story that are appealing to two different groups of people with two different attitudes. So they're not neither of the news sources are challenging anyone's beliefs. They're just kind of you know, getting them, they're just kind of giving them the information they want that confirms their beliefs. Oh, yeah. Documentaries, yeah. people see documentaries yeah. as being like truthful and unbiased, but those are just as biased as almost anything else because it's all about what they choose to include and what they leave out to craft exactly. the narrative. So I mean, exactly. like if you're like making a murderer, you know, I don't know if you saw that show on Netflix. But yeah, yeah, I did. After yeah. you watch it, you're like, oh my goodness, this guy's innocent. They framed him. And then after, if you go back and like, read more information about it they left out some very key points that really do make him look quite guilty like the fact mm -hmm. that he specifically requested that woman like come over to his house and stuff like that but i thought that mm -hmm. was really interesting yeah i mean i i think yeah i mean he clearly like i've i've haven't read any like additional stuff about it but i know that I know that I watched it and I, I was like, oh, he's innocent. You yep. know, like I think, he, you know, it's because of the information that they put into it. So I think oh. that's one of the things to think about is anybody, any information that you're reading, somebody put that together and they're trying to make arguments to oh, yeah. support some point. And so you want to the peer review research is the, you know, the least biased place to go. And so I think if you can digest peer review research, I would say that that's the best way to the best information that you can consume. If yeah. You and then can. you can be like, oh, my article's peer reviewed and yours is a meme yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what. So I always try to pull those out when yeah. I get into an argument. At so, least, um, you know, I'll try to. Why pull exactly article. is it so hard for people to change their beliefs? Like, what is the specific reason? I, so I think if 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 humans were robots, you know, and we didn't have emotions, right, we would it would be easy because we would just we would take everything and we'd be like, oh, you know, oh, this is new information. OK, we're wrong. We're going to change our belief, you know. Oh, oh, we, we got new information. So you get my point. Like if we weren't emotional beings, we wouldn't have cognitive dissonance. We have cognitive dissonance because we have emotions and we don't want to look bad. We don't want to look, you know 
stupid in front of other people. And it makes us look bad and embarrassed to admit that we were wrong, you know, to admit that we, we had a belief that now we disagree with. And so I think because of our emotions, it makes it hard for us to, to admit and to change our beliefs. Yeah. So be open-minded, right? I mean, then you're going to be better off. You have the most amount of information. Absolutely. I think if, if you stay open-minded, I think that's, you know, one of the most important things it's okay to look bad. It's okay. I mean, it, even if it may, even if you think it makes you look bad, it's, it's actually a really strong thing to be able to take in that information and say, you know what, I was actually, you know, what my belief wasn't actually right. And I'm willing to take in that new information and change my opinion. Because that's another thing that, that I, you know, that frustrates me with the media is that, you know, they have this like thing, like, oh, this person said this and they were wrong. And it's like, like with what's going on with Fauci, they're like, oh, Fauci said this before and he was wrong. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he was wrong, but it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to, you know, he has new information now. So now he, you know, he knows more and he's, he changed his viewpoint. So I think, you know, we have this thing in our society, like, oh, you can't be wrong. And I think that's problematic. It's okay to say, Hey, you know, I've got new information and now I think differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So before the, we started recording, you were talking to me about the like rules that you had for successful debates. I guess, could you explain what those are? So I think um, everyone has a right to their own opinion. And so I think, you know, you may think your opinion's right and that the other person's wrong, but, you know, and the, and it, they may very well be wrong, but uh, you have to respect their opinion and uh, re- respect their right to have a different view than yours. And so I think that goes, you know, without, you know, that should go first. All right. So res- yeah, respect their opinion. Got it. So exactly. Don't just call them an idiot. Yeah. But what if it's, and, uh, you know, their opinion is like, I hate gay people or something, or it's really yeah. racist. So, yeah, I think if, if your opinion is I hate, you know, LGBT or, you know, I'm Jewish, so, you know, I hate Jews or whatever, then I think you have the right to say, you know what, I- I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Your opinion's offensive to me. I'm going to block, delete you, unfriend you, unfollow, whatever, whatever the case may be. But I think... You know, you have the right to do that. And you if, probably should, you know, man. I, I think it's best to remove uh, toxicity when I'm playing an online game and someone gets toxic. I just uh, mute them immediately instead yeah. of like getting into it. Because I find that anytime that I do, I just end up like more mad and yeah. um, they get mad and everyone who's listening gets mad. So it's better just to remove them completely and ignore it. Yeah, I can I can agree more. I think if, if someone's going to be negative and make you make you down, then, you know, go ahead and just, you know, get. Just, mm-hmm. just delete them. <laughs> so, yeah, so you shouldn't call them names, uh, but what should you do? Just ignore them? Or if you're in that debate and you can't just ignore them because you're at Thanksgiving dinner, what would you do? Mm-hmm. So I think what I would do in that case is just say, hey, you know, let's let's just agree to disagree. You know, let's just, you know, um, you can tell them, you can say, you know what, your your opinion is offensive. You know, you can say that to them directly. And then they call and you a here- snowflake. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> and here's why it's offensive. Um, and so you can do that. And then, you know, say uh, if they talk more, just say, hey, we'll just we'll agree to disagree. And, and right. Walk so away. that yeah. uh, name calling or, you know, not addressing the argument, that's called ad hominem. Right. Yeah. Argument ad hominem. Yep. And it's, so, yeah, you don't want to do that. So. So that what, uh, that's just calling someone a name or attacking yeah. their person, not their argument. What are yeah. some of the other 
fallacies that people engage in. Yeah. So here, here's a couple of them. Um, one of the, one of my biggest ones is called availability bias. So somebody will, you know, you'll be making a, a, you'll be talking with someone and they'll be like, um, my cousin, you know, did this and this is, you know, so this is exactly what happens with everybody because this happened to my cousin or my aunt or mm -hmm. something. And availability bias is the idea that because we can think of examples in our head that they're they're what's normal or what applies to, you know, a normal situation. Oh, I got one that I with a yeah. guy I used to debate with all the time or like completely yeah. opposite. But yeah, one, he believed vaccines, vaccines cause autism because he had a uh, he knew a guy whose son developed autism syndrome yeah. like very quickly after getting the vaccine, even though that happens because, you know, there's uh, symptoms of autism don't happen right away. But uh, there was one other one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. So I was like, well, how do you we have the religious debate? Because, you know, for some reason, I always have to go there. I try. I don't do it anymore. But yeah, he would be <laughs> like, well, I've had this personal experience, you know, so that's mm -hmm. how I know. But, you know, uh -huh. I never had that personal experience. So it doesn't apply to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so that's like, that's some, that's some type of logic that people will use too. is, is like, they'll kind of, if they can't think of an example, they'll just be like, Oh, you know, that that's not true. You know, it happened to me. Um, that's how I know. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. what, any, what the evidence says it happened to me. Yeah. So Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, if you're, I use an example, like if you're reading a product review on Amazon, you, you may read like one person's review who gave it zero stars and you know, you may be like, oh, this product is terrible, but then, you know, the product may have five out of five stars, right? So if you're just trusting that one person's review, then, you know, you're, you're not getting the whole picture. You sure. know? So I think that's, that's one thing to think about. You want to take, you want to get as much information as you can, not, not just rely on such a small piece of information. Yeah. I love, I read the five star reviews and then I read the zero star reviews and then I can't decide. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to read the three star too. reviews, right? And see what's <laughs> so, like the pros and cons, right? Overgeneralization is making a statement or a claim with not enough information to make it. So for example, um, like saying all, so someone, I got an argument with someone and he said, uh, all social science research is bullshit. So clearly that offended me as a, uh, as a, uh, you know, uh, a social science Did you researcher. Ask him for, uh, uh, some peer reviewed articles to back that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I told him, um, you know, that he was saying that it's not real science. And I said, no, you're talking about experiments versus correlational studies. You're not talking about social science research. I like the one and, where I say, um, yeah. somebody says evolution, it doesn't, isn't true. And I'm like, oh no, it's true. They're like, no, it's just a theory. It's not proof. Yeah. I'm like, uh, that means something different uh, in the science world. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different um, fallacies, but really it's just, what all what all they all of them basically have in common is that you're you're taking like such a small piece of information and basically using it to make a broad general conclusion about something. Okay, so watch out for some the, of those fallacies in your own yeah. arguments and in other people's arguments. Uh, yeah. You can only be better off understanding them. So uh, I know you have some other rules that you mentioned. So like in, to successfully debate, maybe convince them, probably not, but at the very least, stay sane. Yeah, uh, exactly. Those? So don't don't try to win the argument now that you know about cognitive dissonance. You know, you know that they're going to feel uncomfortable. So I think, you know, 
it when they feel uncomfortable and they feel that dissonance, give them the space. Like don't, you know, keep pushing them because they're just going to get frustrated and push you away. So give them the space to um, kind of let that stir for a while yeah, and, so ask some and really back good away. questions and uh, let, yeah. let nature do its job. Exactly. Right. Just plan to agree to disagree yep. if you can. So once you start um, getting heated, especially I imagine, you know, once you see, feel yourself going there, it's really yeah. easy just to take it to the next level, especially for me. But you know, some yeah. you be like, yeah, I don't know. I disagree, but let's just move on to something else. Yeah. It's always okay to just say, let's agree to disagree. Right. That's a good thing to say in a debate is mm-hmm. let's just agree to disagree. If you're tired, you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Just that's, that's a good thing to say. Yep. So, um, what about for your own self, like for your own mind and yeah. changing your own beliefs? So now that you know about like what dissonance is, you can recognize it in yourself. So if you notice that you have this belief and someone gives you information that conflicts it and you're feeling uncomfortable, you can say, you know, okay, why am I feeling uncomfortable? Maybe I'm feeling dissonance. And instead of going against the dissonance, you can embrace it and say, okay, what's the shade of gray that's going on here? You know, what, what, what are the conflicting things that are happening? And why am I feeling this, this feeling, these feelings of uncomfortableness, you know? And, and, and I think that's important is to recognize, Hey, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson is, was a slave owner, but he was, he's also, you know, the third president of the United States, founding father, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think looking at the gray is important. So paying attention to that when you're in a debate outside of a debate is, is a good thing. Sure. Um, and then we talked about this, but I guess the next point was to, you know, to make sure that you give the person space. Right. And then when they're um, getting mad to, um, you know, yeah, give them space. Right. So exactly. And then, uh, yeah, the, the, what's the last one? Yeah. I would say the, the biggest, uh, if you want to like actually get, you know, move the person towards the other belief. That's my toward, goal. Right. Yeah. It, or try ultimately. to like, you know, at least get, get some success is to ask them questions about their own beliefs rather than restating your own belief over and over and over again. Cause you're not, you're not going to get anywhere when you're both just stating, you know, so, you know, each other's sides. So I think, um, just challenge, just challenge their beliefs, you know, get, ask them questions, get them to question their arguments. Yeah. Um, Probably and make should them show you how weak them. their knowledge of a subject is too. Right. Sure. <laughs> you're like, why yeah, do you it, believe this? And they're like, um, because I, I read it online, you know, and then I'm, I'm the guy at that point. I'm like, uh, I need a source, man. Come on. You can't just say that. Like, you know, this crazy statement without sourcing something and then they go exactly. online and they have to find it yeah then it gets a little messy but yeah definitely ask questions about their beliefs as opposed to just uh smashing them over the head with yours yeah and and when the, they'll hear themselves like you know um when you ask them questions like not being able to explain the topics very well and so i think that like you said that's a good point you know they'll hear themselves and be like, man, you know, I really don't sound like I understand this. And so that, that may, that, that'll probably make them feel uncomfortable in the moment, but maybe over time they may decide to change that opinion. Yeah. And I just want to say that I have this one friend who we're on opposite sides too, but he is very, very polite and, you know, asks questions and genuinely wants to understand, doesn't like beat me over the head with his ideas. And he's way more likely to convince me of something over time. Plus I can still be his friend and I think he's a good person, you know? So I try to be more like that. It's very difficult, but you know, he's a great guy. And I think he's a good example of how you should be. Exactly. Like I think, um, John McCain, you know, when he was debating Obama and like, I think someone, there was a town hall or something. And, uh, someone said, 
you know, Obama's a terrorist or something, and John McCain stopped, and he was like, no, he said, Obama's a good family man, like, we disagree on political stuff, but he's not, you know, that's not true, he's not a terrorist, you know, so, I mean, they all, everybody likes John McCain, even Democrats, because, even though they disagree with him on a lot of things, because he's he's a nice guy, yeah, I and wish he's we could respectful, get back to their and so I think if you can be like that, that's gonna, that's a good characteristic. Mm -hmm. So um, that's great information. Uh, which, maybe we could just run down the key takeaways uh, to wrap up the episode that people should take mm. away. So um, you're going to be on. Uh, so remember that things aren't black and white. There's usually a shade of gray. So like like the Thomas Jefferson analogy, I keep beating that home. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's going to be it's it's never when you feel that dissonance, it's usually there's two sides of things. And so I think recognizing both sides and you know and and assessing where your attitudes and belief are, beliefs are you know make sure to pay attention to your own dissonance if you're feeling uncomfortable then you know you may be receiving information that's conflicting with your beliefs and that's okay like that's how you grow and change them um and it's a strength to admit that you were wrong you know it's not a weakness to admit you're wrong when you get new information no it's a and weakness if you can't do that right exactly yeah, yeah sure. exactly yeah and, you know we think it makes us look strong to stand with our beliefs and admit that we're right you know but it that's not really what what is strong it's strong to admit that you were wrong sure. and you know, and I think so, people respect that too. I think they really yeah. do. In the moment, they may be like, ha, but I think over time, they're like, you know, they definitely respect that. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think it's important, yep. you know, and, and, and so new information, right? Um, make sure that you're willing to take in new information. Don't turn down information that people give you. You know, if, if someone gives you some good information that, you know, informed to their opinion then look at it read it digest it don't throw it away digest don't it and say, see what oh, comes I don't out the see. other end am i right yeah exactly <laughs> and um i think one of the big things is to always be examining your own biases attitudes and opinions and and the conflicts that are associated with them that's really important mm -hmm. um so yeah, i i will say this too that you know, this episode did downplay emotions like it, but it's okay to feel strongly about issues. I don't want to, I don't want you to think from watching this that it's not okay because it is. And it, it just means those issues are important to you, you know? So if you feel strongly about, you know, certain, you know, political campaigns or things like that, that's good. You know, it's not a bad thing, but you also need to pay attention to the fact that, you know, you're going to be bought. You might have some biases because you feel strongly about it. Mm -hmm. And remember to look at all the information and and that type of thing. So great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess uh, this podcast was brought to you by Learn My Test. The best way to study is to take practice tests so you can build your own and learn while you do it. You're uh, using the Learn My Test study tool. It's free at LearnMyTest.com. I am Lowell Berlanti, and this is uh, Dr. Brian Collin, and uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. All right. Thank you.